Hey, it's Ella and Daddy, and you're listening to the Not Me But You podcast, where our goal is to speak out the truth of the Bible so that our listeners may be encouraged to live in a manner worthy of their calling. Together, we pray that God would use this episode to strengthen and guide you on your faith journey. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to part two of our conversation with Pastor Kent Otterman. So last week's episode, you'll know we were discussing creation versus evolution, and today we are actually continuing that discussion. So if you haven't listened to part one, you'll want to go listen to last week's episode to do that. In last week's episode, we talked a lot about evidence supporting a divine creator. So you'll want to make sure to catch up on last week's episode before continuing today. So as we jump back in to part two, the big question that we're here to answer today is, is there any biblical evidence pointing to dinosaurs living alongside human beings? Dinosaurs? Sure. Um, um, well, according to the Bible, if we take it literally, dinosaurs being land animals, well, although there were sea dinosaurs too, and the sea creatures were created on the, on the fifth day, and the land animals on the sixth day, mm-hmm. along with Adam and Eve. So if, if the Bible is true, if it's accurate, as I believe it is, dinosaurs were created on day six of creation, along with the rest of the animals, and they lived at the same time as man lived. Okay. Whereas evolutionary theory believes that, again, dinosaurs evolved and they died 65 million years ago, long before man ever evolved. So Mm -hmm. the dinosaurs and man never lived um, together. Let me read something here that's kind of connected to that. Um, Noah took two of every kind of land animal on board the ark, including dinosaurs. After getting off the ark, and by the way, we would have to say that, you know, he probably took young dinosaurs on the ark that weren't probably fully grown, you know, (laughs) teenage dinosaurs maybe or something like that. (laughs) After getting off the ark, these dinosaurs spread around the world. The ancient histories of many cultures document dinosaur encounters. This is interesting to me. Britain's history contains hundreds of stories about large reptiles called dragons. According to one account, a large reptile killed and ate King Morvidus in 336 BC, before Christ. Just over 100 years ago, elderly Welsh folk told of a colony of winged serpents that lived in the woods around Penland Castle in Glamorgan. These winged serpents were the terror of old and young alike. They were described as very beautiful looked as if they were covered with jewels of all sorts. When angry, they flew over people's heads. They were as bad for poultry as foxes. In other words, they hunted chickens. Sure. They were terrorists in farmyards. Okay, flying winged serpents. Um, I can, hard to pronounce some of these dinosaur names. <laughs> Pterosaurs, that's the dinosaur name for these winged serpents. In 1405, after an unsuccessful attempt by local archers to kill the dragon with its impenetrable hide, villagers near Sudbury drove into a swamp 
A, they drove a dragon, vast in body, this is quotation, with a crested head, teeth like a saw, and a tail extending to an enormous length. Having slaughtered the shepherd of a flock, this, this dragon, as they called it, devoured many sheep. After the flood, people also spread across the earth. But who would want these terrifying creatures living near their village? Many dinosaurs likely went extinct due to human expansion and hunting and that kind of thing. When we put our biblical glasses on, it's no surprise to find these types of widespread dragon reports. Dinosaurs definitely did not go extinct 65 million years ago. There, so there are many stories Evolutionists would say they're just made-up stories, but these are true stories of people of many cultures years ago who saw what they would call dragons, but they are describing what we know as dinosaurs. Right. So well, dinosaurs lived after the flood because they were on the ark, we would, we would say, and they lived for a while and, you know, died off eventually, right. most of them anyway. There are some that believe there's still maybe some dinosaurs, um, you know, Out there today. in the Amazon forest or something <laughs> like that. That'd be cool. But yeah. Addie and I actually have a friend who he's convinced that dinosaurs still, yeah. still, still roam out there. out there today. So. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the Bible say something in there about, I don't want to say large serpents, but large beasts? Somewhere in there. Do you think that's possibly a reference to dinosaurs? Sure, or is that... there are references in the book of Job to Leviathan, who's like a, a sea beast, and Behemoth, which is a land beast. And if you look at the description, especially of Behemoth, um, it talks in the book of Job, it's had a tail like a cedar tree. And, you know, some scholars think, well, this was like an elephant or hippopotamus or something like that. But elephants and hippopotamus don't have, have tails. tails like a cedar tree. Yeah. It really describes more like, when I was growing up, they call it brontosaurus, uh, one of these types of, of uh, creatures. Here's a picture, by the way, of a, of a stegosaurus. This was in Cambodia oh. in a temple where they had pictures of animals in this temple animals that people had seen or they would not have known how to do this artwork. Right. That's a stegosaurus right there. It's a, a dinosaur that these people had, had seen. Um, this is a temple in Cambodia that was built in the 12th century. So yes, I would say there is evidence of dinosaurs having lived at the same time as man. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is really interesting. So you're proving or you're not proving, you're pointing out all of um, just this evidence that is pointing to a new earth and um, just that God is real and God did create the world. But in this culture today, we still have the world preaching to us just evolution, evolution, evolution. And it's kind of hard as a Christian to stand, you know, with what you believe and what the Bible says is <clears throat> truth. So what can we be doing just um, as teenagers and early adults as just to help our friends with just this secular worldview and just how can we um, help express the truth to them? To me, one of the best things we can do as, as Christians is learn the scientific truth. 
that supports the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say to someone, the Bible says this or the Bible says that, and they'll say, well, no, I, I'm not going to believe that just because it says it. But if you have scientific evidence like some of which I've shared with you today that points to a young earth like carbon-14 and fossils and coal and, and diamonds and, and this whale graveyard and, and other things I can share as well, there's a great deal of scientific evidence that supports what the Bible says. It's not just the Bible. It's, there's, a, there's a great deal of evidence to support what the Bible says. So mm-hmm. I would say search out this kind of information. Search out the truth that supports, the scientific truth that supports what the Bible says. You put those two together and to me, you know, it's a great evidence for the Bible being God's word. Right. And I think that's really a good point too, to try to bring that science into the Bible because we've been brainwashed into believing that okay, religion and the Bible is over here and then over here is science and Mm -hmm. you don't mix the two things, but... Science, if it's observable fact that you can can observe and you can repeat and experience, that's one kind of thing. That's that's what we used to call science. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about evolution and the universe being billions of years old and you know, amoeba floating in a pond, turn into worms, turn into frogs, turn into mammoths, turn into, you know. Yeah. That's not observable. That's purely conjecture. That's mm-hmm. all it is. And people need to understand there's a difference between observable science, scientific fact, and what's purely conjecture. Sure. But yeah. the thing is that evolutionists will take what they conjecture and they'll come across like it's fact when it's simply conjecture. Mm-hmm. One more thing before we get off the science part that I think is really great evidence for a young earth and, the, and what the Bible says. Um, let me read this to you. Why isn't the earth and all life on it fried from deadly solar radiation? The earth is protected by a magnetic force field that surrounds it. Scientists are finding, however, that this protective force field is slowly wearing down or decaying. At the current rate of decay, the magnetic force field can be no more than 20,000 years old. This means that the Earth could not be older than 20,000 years. Um, Measuring the strength of the Earth's magnetic field began in 1845. Since that time, there have been many studies. One study showed the decay rate of 5% per century. Another done by archaeologists estimated that the Earth's magnetic field must have been 40% stronger in 1000 AD. A more recent study uh, from 1970 to 2000 by the International Geometric or Geomagnetic Reference Field measured a loss of 1.4% in the magnetic force field in just 30 years. This has far more profound implications than global climate change, yet it is largely ignored. For the Earth to be billions of years old, as evolutionists say, the Earth's magnetic field would long ago have disappeared, and we would have been bombarded by deadly solar radiation. 
but Earth still has a force field surrounding it. When we do the math, it all points to a young Earth and magnetic field. According to scripture, the Earth and the entire universe is only about 6,000 years old. Earth's magnetic field shouts a young Earth. So this is what I'm saying. There's a great deal of scientific evidence that points to the truth of the Bible, mm -hmm. that the Earth was created about 6,000 years ago and the flood of Noah happened and just did all kinds of things to this Earth. Sure. And to me, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Frankly. I think it, it makes me think of um, all the global warming stuff that um, is going around right now. And to me, if the Earth was truly billions of years old, you'd think if this Earth was rapidly changing and in such danger, we would have, it would have, this whole global warming thing would have mm -hmm. destroyed the Earth by now, you know? Yeah. It just doesn't. Well, I, you know, personally, I believe that whole topic of global warming has been really, it, there's a lot of politics involved in it. Mm-hmm. People who believe in, in the catastrophic global warming theory have certain political agendas that they're trying to push through. And I, I, mean, I believe from what I've read that the Earth has gone through some warming trends and some cooling trends over the years. But it's not so dependent upon what we do as human beings as it is, from what I have read, um, the activity of the sun. Oh. When the sun is more active and with solar flares and whatnot, mm -hmm. there tends to be a little bit warmer climate on the earth. When it's less active, the earth tends to be a little cooler. Um, there's something called the grand solar minimum. You can look up if you want to. And there's some people who believe actually we're going into a cooler time, grand solar minimum. But anyway, <laughs> it's a little off topic, yeah. I guess. But, uh, yeah, <clears throat> it's very interesting though, because mm -hmm. God calls us to obviously be good stewards yes. of the gifts we've been given, and obviously this world is a gift. But yeah. at the same time, I believe God's in control, and He's the one holding the earth. So, who am I to control the temperature of the earth? Right. right. Yeah, yeah. And so things like the Big Bang. I mean, that's conjecture. That's not a scientific fact. That's purely conjecture. That. I mean, there are crazy things with the Big Bang. Um, well, I think it's kind of interesting how there's a tie between the doubting of creation and of the whole Big Bang. Like how we sit here and we doubt, like how did how did the Earth just come from nothing? Like mm -hmm. it didn't just happen. But then a lot of evolutionists or just people who don't believe in God would say, well, how did... God come to be like how sure how did he sure so there is in either camp there's faith involved mm -hmm. as Christians we cannot explain how God came to be we say God had no beginning and that's that that's mind-blowing because everything we know has a beginning right and yet we say God never had a beginning so this is where faith does come in to be sure mm -hmm. as Christians um, but faith comes in for evolutionists as well to believe that there was nothing and all of a sudden this nothing exploded. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, if you don't call that faith, I don't know what you do call faith. Right. 
you know? Yeah, that's really interesting because me and Ella just ended up counseling a week at camp and I had this little girl and one of the biggest questions she was struggling with and just belief was everything in this world has a beginning, but it says God doesn't. So how does, how does that work? And Mm -hmm. I did walk her through that too, of like, you know, God created us. And you know, sometimes there's these really big questions and someday we're going to get to go to heaven and ask God these really (laughs) big questions. But it's interesting that even a 10 year old would wrestle with that question because it is so fundamental of everything has a beginning. Does God have a beginning? So it's interesting. God is God is God. He's so far beyond us in many ways. And he's revealed to us in the scriptures what we can understand about him. But he's God. He's beyond (laughs) our understanding in so many ways. So that is where faith comes in, to be sure. But the scientific evidence supports what the Bible teaches about Mm -hmm. the age of the earth and the flood. So that should help us to believe in this God that we cannot fully understand. Mm Mm-hmm. I think God's given us a good balance of he's given us the proof, he's given us the facts, but we also do need that part of just having faith in him Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Pastor, as you were discussing, I was wondering, so since scientists keep pointing to an earth that they claim is billions of billions of years old, and they come to these conclusions based on rock formations and, and just various other reasons... So do you think that the worldwide flood of Noah could possibly be the reason that scientists are being led astray? Well, there's something called uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism as, as compared to catastrophism or catastrophe. If you hold to uniformitarian view, then you can't allow for a flood, a world-changing flood. You, you can't allow for big catastrophes like that that would change the earth. A uniformitarian view is that as life is happening now, so it's always happened, it's always taken place. So, um, you know, you can't allow for a flood that would have caused the Grand Canyon in, in one year's time, <laughs> you know, because yeah. we don't see that happening now, generally speaking, although there was the Mount St. Helens volcano eruption a number of years ago and there was some amazing things that happened and there was a canyon that formed quickly Hmm. because of uh, things from Mount St. Helens. But um, if you think that everything has to be uniform and and happen just the way we live it with the way we observe it now, you know, that's where you see the layers of rock in the Grand Canyon and you say, well, these must have been laid down slowly (laughs) over millions of years of time. But if you're open to there could have been a flood the Bible talks about, mm-hmm. then that explains it much better. Yeah, I agree. You know? So it's not like the, the flood led scientists astray as much as it is scientists left the Bible. They left the Bible. In fact, there's a geologist, uh, Charles, I think his first name was Charles, his last name was Lyell, who influenced Charles Darwin. And Lyell was... Uh, uh, uniformitarianism, uh, uniformitarianist, excuse me, who wanted to divorce science from Moses, he said. Moses meaning who who wrote Mm -hmm. the first five books of the Old Testament. He Mm -hmm. wanted to divorce science from the Bible. He said that. Mm -hmm. And so he began to explain 
all these layers of rock being formed slowly yeah. over millions of years. And that was really a philosophy. He put on the rocks, basically. And then Charles Darwin picked up that philosophy of slow and gradual and applied it to biology. So I would say the scientist left the Bible in a sense. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Right. It kind of seems like all the stuff we're talking about, the scientist had the conclusion or the end part and they just wanted to fill in the gaps and leave God out of it completely. They were like, oh, well, this had to happen, so how can we possibly get here? Let's fill in the trail. Exactly. We're going to kick God out of our equation, you know, and we're going to explain it without him, without any catastrophes like Noah's flood. We're going to forget about that. And so then they, they filled in, like mm -hmm. you said, Work the problem backwards. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we've talked about um, Noah's flood and how that has affected the earth a lot. Are there any? Um, is there any other stories in the Bible or things that kind of point to um, evidence of creation or just um, how the earth has changed and how the earth changing points back to the Bible? Well, I guess one thing to talk about just briefly is, you know, the Bible says in Genesis that God created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh day. One of the ways to understand are those actual days, 24-hour days, because there are people, evolutionists, who say, no, each day represents millions of years of time, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're not literal days, they're figurative days. Well, from a biblical perspective, how did the Jewish people understand that? How did the Israelite scholars understand it? And so we see, like in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, about this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's one of the commandments, right? Yeah. Um, for, it says, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The clear understanding of the Jewish scholars, um, and after this time as well, was that the six days of creation were six 24-hour days. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a million years or <laughs> 10 million years per day. Yeah. You know, because we have a seven-day week. We work, at least in the Old Testament, we were to work for six days and rest on the seventh day because that's what God did. He worked for six days creating and he rested on the seventh day. So yeah. it, it's only if you have to believe that the universe is millions and billions of years old that you have to say the days of Genesis are figurative, not literal, yeah. and they represent long time periods. Yeah, right, and when we're believing in a God who didn't have a beginning, why aren't we believing in a God who could create this in six days? Like right. to me, if we're having faith in this amazing yeah. God, I'm like, yes, I believe he could do it in six God days. Is omnipotent, meaning all powerful. He could have done it in 10 minutes if he wanted to. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's not hard for an omnipotent, all powerful God to speak and things come into being. Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible says. And God said, let there be this, let there be that. And it was. God is God. He's right. all powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. 
There are some people that believe there's a gap, and if you've heard of this, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. It's called mm-hmm. the gap theory. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-2, um, and the earth was formless and void and darknesses over the face of the earth. So, um, some these people say that Genesis 1-2 can be translated and the earth became formless and void. And so they believe that there was a prior creation that Genesis 1-1 talks about. And then there was a prior fall when when the angel, some people call Lucifer, became the devil and took other fallen angels with him. Mm-hmm. That initial creation was destroyed and the, then the earth was formless and void. And so what Genesis talks about is a recreation of God's original creation. Oh. <laughs> and so that there were millions of years perhaps connected to the first creation. But that's, in my opinion, really reading into the Bible, yeah. what you want it to say. It doesn't really mm-hmm. say that. That's reading into it mm-hmm. and a particular interpretation to right. try to f- come up with millions of years prior to the Genesis creation account. Right. right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is there any anything else that you just feel um, that people need to hear, I guess? Uh, you know, I think we've covered probably most of the basics, but um, I guess one other thing that comes to my mind, one of the reasons why I believe that evolution is really bad science, first of all, life doesn't just come into being on its own from non-living chemicals. That's never been observed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but secondly, what Charles Darwin taught for the progression of so-called simple creatures to more complicated creatures was the process of genetic mutations and natural selection. The genetic mutations took place in creatures and then those who could survive, you know, survive, you know, survival of the fittest and that kind of thing. Um, Natural selection. But here's the point. Genetic mutations are not typically good. They don't typically do good things. Mm -hmm. They're typically either negative or possibly neutral, but they're not good. And for a frog to become an elephant through genetic mutations would require a host hundreds of thousands of good mutations to take place. (laughs) Yeah. Plus the fact that Genetic mutations don't add genetic information that would be required for, let's say, a frog to become an elephant, mm-hmm. you know, or an yeah. amoeba in a pond to become a frog. Mutations only work with what's there. They only change what's there. They don't sure. add genetic information right. that would be required for an amoeba to start growing arms and legs and feet and have a heart grow. Mm-hmm. Right. It's really bad science. Right. Well, I think even the whole idea that humans came from monkeys and whatever else and genetic mutation, whatever, whatever. Well, a big thing with humans is 
we have emotions, we have feelings, and you can't tell me that a monkey has emotions and feelings and all that stuff, you know, and I just find it hard to believe that that has developed over time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Well, you know, the Bible says that human beings are created in the image of God, and animals are not. Now, animals are an amazing creation of God. I love animals. I'm We're cat lovers. We have two <laughs> cats, and we have a dog, and... I believe, I mean, they do show affection and that kind of thing, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but humans are on a different level. We are created in the Definitely. image of God. We are more like God than the animals are um, in many ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I also, when you were thinking that, I find it interesting, too, that, you know, I like to think that as a society, we are getting more technologically advanced and stuff but mm-hmm. yet we have never really been able to produce life in a lab setting or produce as you would say that big bang mm-hmm. and think of how perfect that condition would be mm-hmm. um to produce that and like in addition to it we have all the chemicals um and everything there to produce life but we don't have you know when it says like god breathed life into man and it was yes. like we don't have that and so we are unable, as we said, to, you know, create life in a lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can I read one more thing? Go for it. Yes, and I, and I don't absolutely. want to take too much time, but this has to do with that topic of creating life in the lab. Stanley Miller's famous experiment in 1953 attempted to show that life began when lightning passed through a particular atmosphere and made chemicals called amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of proteins, and proteins are required by all living cells. Miller did show that some amino acids could be made in this way, but it's quite another thing to get them to build a living cell. Just as a few concrete blocks in a parking lot will never turn themselves into a complex building, the existence of a few amino acids can never explain the origin of a living cell. These amino acids supposedly link together to form proteins, like beads on a necklace. These proteins then somehow would have to form the first DNA that went on to form the first living cell. Generations of school children had been taught this fairy tale as if it were a fact of history. The fairy tale of Stanley Miller's experiment, where he tried to create life in a laboratory. Mm. He was successful in creating a few amino acids, um, but not life, but not life. Now even many atheists are bailing out and admitting that life could not possibly form, be formed in this way. Why? And here's some scientific reasons. Amino acids in water do not concentrate themselves. They disperse, right? So the theory is that, you know, there was like a lightning strike in a pond somewhere caused these chemicals to come together and, and to form life, right? Right. Amino acids need to be in the pure form in order to make proteins. Contaminants in ocean water, for example, would have stopped protein formation. Under natural conditions, pure amino acids will not form proteins. 
Living things use only left-handed amino acids, yet Miller-type experiments always resulted in a useless 50-50 mixture of right and left-handed amino acids. What Miller's experiment actually showed was that life could not possibly have formed in this way. The complex organization of life requires an intelligent creator. It is by observing creation that God makes his awesome power and creativity apparent to everyone. So in textbooks, they say the Stanley Miller created life in a test tube, basically, kind of thing, but he did not. He created, he was able to get some amino acids formed through his process, but they didn't form life. They didn't mm-hmm. go into form DNA, which is an amazingly complicated thing. Yeah. And there was no life there. Right. To me, amino acids is a long way from a human being (laughs) and a long way from life. Right. And just the way our body functions perfectly and everything about it, it's just, it's crazy to believe that it came from nothing. All of our organ systems had to be all there from the beginning. Mm -hmm. The heart, the lungs... The liver, the gallbladder, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It couldn't yeah. just evolve one piece at a time. Right. It's like we need everything. Everything in had us. to be there in full function. And so this is what the Bible says. And God said, Let there be. And there was. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. God is God. And to think that in addition to that, He made us in His own image. And what an honor that is. To be not only a child of God, but to me, be created in the image of God as well. Yes. Yeah. Mind blowing. And we can have a relationship with Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is really interesting, exciting stuff too to just learn about how Bible and science really does back up the Bible. They really go together. Mm-hmm. They really do. Yeah. 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 No, thank you so much for coming on today and just sharing your time with us and just all the knowledge. I think it's something that definitely will be helpful to the world out there and yeah. just really interesting to learn about. There's yeah. a lot of knowledge out there. Uh, the One of the sources on the internet that I go to is uh, Creation Ministries International, and it's cmi.com. I think it's .com, not .org, one of the two. <laughs> But uh, they have a lot of information. And there's Ken Ham. He's a well-known creationist. He's got an organization that talks about yep. all this stuff. So, No, sure. we'll definitely have to tell our listeners to go out there and mm-hmm. do their own research. You know, Don't just sit here and But it's there it. if right. you will dig and if it's available for people to yeah, learn. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, to all our listeners, we hope that you will just... Um, Really take this, all these things we've talked about today and um, take them seriously and really think about this. And um, like Addie said, look into it more. And um, we will talk to all of you in our next episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our show. As always, we'd like to remind our listeners that we're born into a broken world. With that being said, we're not perfect, and we ask our supporters to always fact-check our words and opinions on the one and only truth of the Bible. 
We would absolutely love to hear your episode suggestions or feedback. Check us out on Instagram by typing not me but you productions into the search bar. Thanks again for the love and support.